gambling, especially over last night. People saying, uh, we're, we're going to leave tonight, uh, no offense to you. <laughs> and so anyway, but thanks. Uh, this last hour, uh, we're going to talk about God's grace. Uh, the last lesson of this camp is, is God's grace. We're going to go down the hill with that ringing in our ears. Lord willing, uh, the Lord will, will bless us in this. Now, uh, again, let's pray. Oh, Lord, your word is so rich and so full, and it tells us so much about who you are. And, uh, Lord, sometimes we're dull and we're tired. We do pray that uh, you would open our eyes to behold the wonder of who you are, yet even in this last hour. And, Lord, then bless our fellowship together and, and keep us safe as we would drive down to our homes until we meet again. We ask your blessings. Amen. God's grace. You know, I still weep at the sound of it, don't you? In our church in Phoenix, uh, you know, we're, we're a singing church. Our, our congregation loves to sing. I'm not a singer. Uh, I, I was asked once, uh, when I was in seminary my last year, we had a church uh, I was at the PCA, and, the, and the, uh, a small little congregation asked me as a new licentiate to come up and, and fill the pulpit, and he said, go ahead, there was his a cappella singing, he said, go ahead and lead the worship, I said, I don't really sing very well, he says, don't worry about it, we'll just make a joyful noise with you. Second week, uh, they invited me again, and again, the third week, he said, you know what, I think I'll go ahead and lead singing, so uh, <laughs> I don't take offense. But, but one of our, our favorite hymns in our church is um, Marvelous Grace. We love that hymn. We love hearing about God's grace. And, and unfortunately, there is a lot about God's grace, and we're not going to have time in this time to really cover it all. There's, you know, we're going to talk about common grace and, and uh, redeeming grace uh, a little bit, perhaps. But... Uh, there's a lot of different definitions, a lot of different understandings of grace. Let me just uh, quickly go through some definitions, though. Uh, and I want to say that God's grace is the beautiful, loving, kind, and merciful disposition that God has towards others. And again, I, I realize there's other definitions out there, perhaps a little bit more catchy, uh, I'm sure that you are familiar with the, the most common definition of grace, that God's grace is, is uh, unmerited favor towards sinners or undeserved favor towards sinners, and that's certainly a true statement. Perhaps you've heard the anac- uh, acronym, um, you know, GRACE, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I think the first time I ever heard that definition, I was in Calvary Chapel. And it's getting at the fact that as Christians, we are a rich people indeed. Maybe not material, but definitely spiritual. We have been given eternal life. We've been brought into the kingdom of God. We've been adopted as sons. We have a rich inheritance. Uh, we have all these great things. We didn't earn one thing. Uh, we didn't earn it all, any, any of this. Christ earned it for us. He bought all this by his own precious blood. And, and so uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And I, I like that. Going back to August, uh, Augustine, <laughs> I was corrected. Uh, if you read 
his, his treatises uh, against Pelagius. Uh, Pelagius was a British monk who believed that, uh, he, he didn't believe in original sin. He, he believed that we were born, uh, you know, with, the, with a clean slate and that we have the ability within our own free will, our moral aptitude to, to live perfectly and that we can attain moral perfection even without the assistance of divine grace. Well, of course, uh, I'm going to say Augustine because that's what I'm used to, but anyway, he, he contradicted that by, by saying that perfection, of course, is impossible without grace. Why? Because we're born sinners. We have inherited Adam's sin, and as, and as a result of that, the whole of our being is corrupted. Our minds, our hearts, our wills, our, our soul, everything about us is, is, is corrupted by sin. And so, in his writings against Pelagius, he, he, he said that he called grace God's healing power. God's healing power. In, in his book on nature and grace, he wrote, The grace of God helps us as medicine through a mediator. And in another uh, work that he did, uh, Predestination of the Saints, he spoke of grace as something that resides in God and shows itself as the divine mercy towards undeserving sinners. In other words, again, he is looking at grace as the character of God and his sheer mercy and love that causes the salvation of sinners. And that certainly is true. It is because God is a merciful God, and He is a loving God, He is a gracious God, that He gives goodwill to men. And so, again, for that great apologist and, and theologian, grace could really only properly be understood in Jesus Christ, because He is our mediator, He is our Savior, He is the, 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 the real doctor of the soul, as it were. Well, of course, during the time of the Reformation, you had Luther and Calvin, the two leading uh, reformers. Uh, Luther was, in fact, an ordained Augustinian priest. And uh, he said that grace was unmerited favor. He called it God's love or favor, which he cherishes toward us in himself. And Calvin followed all that, and he said that Grace is the character of God whereby he works through Jesus Christ to save sinners. Or to put it another way, he said that grace was a benevolent, is the benevolent and merciful nature of God revealed in Christ. Scripture couples God's grace with Christ's merit. And, and, and the Holy Spirit then is the bond that unites us to Christ and thus effects in us uh, what the grace of God purposes for us in, in his institutes, uh, chapter two, our book two, chapter uh, 17. He's very, he waxes very eloquent on grace. But in more modern times, uh, there's John Murray. Uh, John Murray, Professor John Murray, wrote about grace. And he said, grace is, is placed in sharp contrast with what is earned and therefore with all merit. Grace is undeserved favor, and if any constraint is placed upon God, arising from worthiness on our part, whether it be thought of or, 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 or whether it be of thought or word or action, then it's no longer grace. In other words, uh, he's touching on the common theme that that grace is undeserved mercy, undeserved favor that God gives. 
It's undeserved because we're unworthy. It's undeserved because we didn't earn it. It's, it's freely given. Well, those are the definitions that are common and that the, the, the theologians and, and commentators have, have given to us as they have studied the scriptures. Very helpful stuff. But I want us to continue on in that by looking at uh, the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek words and, uh, and some of the passages that, that reflect uh, the teaching of the scriptures on, on grace. The most common Old Testament uh, Hebrew word that's translated as grace is, is chen or, or hanan. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting word because it has uh, aesthetic connotations to it. It, it, it denotes not just uh, favor but, but, but grace or, or, or like beauty or charm. Uh, there's an attractiveness about this. For instance, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 36, uh, you'll read how the Lord had given the people favor, again, uh, in the sight of the Egyptians so that, they are, so that they let them have their request. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. You remember what's happening there. Uh, God, the, the night before, had previously poured out the, the plague upon Egypt, the last plague where the firstborn died. And the people are now ready to leave. Pharaoh called Moses and said, get those people out of here. We don't want them here anymore. Leave. And so as they're leaving, here it says in Exodus 12 that God had given the people this grace, this favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Uh, there was, uh, there, what was this? I, you know, there's an attractiveness. There was, you know, it's an amazing thing that, you know, as the Israelites are leaving, they went to the Egyptians and said, well, give us your silver and your gold. And the Egyptians did that. I mean, you, would, you would imagine the Egyptians say, well, you're just a filthy slave. Why am I going to? I'm not going to. But there was, an, there was a favor. There was a grace. There was a, an attractiveness that, that God had placed upon the Israelites that the Egyptians were willing to part with their treasures. Um, years ago, my family and I took a vacation in Orlando where we had a timeshare, got rid of that timeshare. You never get a timeshare. <laughs> but we had that timeshare, and we went to uh, Disney World. And they had this little play, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Well, we went to that play, and uh, before that, they had this quartet of a cappella singers. These four men got up, and these, but there was something about them. That I, just, I, just, I wonder if they're Christian. And, and, and during the, the concert, my wife leaned over, she said, I wonder if they're Christian. I don't know, I was just thinking that myself. Well, it was my son's birthday, and so they called Calvin up, and they, said, uh, they sang happy birthday to him, and they gave him a CD, and he brought it back to us, and I opened it up, and, and, and the cover, there it was. We give thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for redeeming us, and we want to thank our church for their support and their encouragement to us. They were Christians. Now, well, what made me think that they were Christians? I, I, there was something, there was, a, there was a grace upon them, right? There was this attractiveness. There was this beauty uh, that goes a little bit beyond words. Have you ever been in a crowded room and, and you see someone across the way that you don't really know? And you, I wonder if they're a Christian. And you go and you talk. Uh, that's happened to me a number of times. Well, anyway, uh, that's that idea of, of grace. It's an it's a inner beauty. It's a charm. It's a pleasantness that makes a person attractive. And that's that, that word, hen, or, or hen on. It, it's, uh, it's an important understanding, I think, of, of grace. 
Because when we think of grace, we often think of grace in terms of sin and salvation, don't we? In terms of, of the fall and the restoration. But those things happen in time. And again, we must remember that, that God is God from all eternity. And that God is God in all His attributes. And if God is, 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 has an attribute of grace, then He must have had that grace ever before there was a star put in the skies. Ever before there was an angel or a seraph to sing His praises. Ever before there was a man to fall into sin. He was gracious. Now, one of the things that it means that, it, that if if grace is this beauty, this attractiveness. It doesn't require that, 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 that he's free in it. He's independent in it. God, uh, God is not free necessarily to, to decide whether or not he'll be gracious or merciful. Because that's his nature. He can't stop being gracious. He can't stop being merciful. But he is free to decide whether or not he'll have mercy on some and, and not on others. In fact, isn't that what he said in Exodus 33, verse 19? And Paul picks that up and, and, and cites that in Romans chapter 9. God says, I will be gracious to those whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. He is free in his grace. But what I'm trying to point out here again is that God's grace is a quality. It's an essential character of his being, an attribute that exists in him apart from his creatures. It's not simply a response that he has to, to sinners. From all eternity, the persons of the Trinity, again, admired one another. They enjoyed each other. They, they demonstrated a loving, caring disposition towards one another. And... Uh, and with this, I want to say that this is a communicable attribute. You know, I think uh, yesterday, uh, Pastor Buchanan mentioned uh, that mercy was a communicable attribute. Well, grace is a communicable attribute. It's an attribute that, that we, as his moral creatures, made in his image, are, are to reflect. In other, if, if we have been forgiven, we are to be forgiving, aren't we? We are to show mercy and patience even to our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us. See, that's what it means to be gracious. In fact, that was, you'll see that I read a lot of the, uh, the church fathers, but, but it was this attribute of, of grace that Christians have received now are to mirror and reflect to the world that, that caused Tertullian and part of his apology uh, to, to defend the faith. And, 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 uh, and so let me just read this. He said, uh, It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See, they say, how they love one another. They say this because they are animated by mutual hatred. How they are ready to even die for one another. Well, they say this because they themselves would sooner put to death. They are wroth with us too because we call each other brethren. And what he's getting at is that as Christians, they were the ones who were showing compassion to the. They, they, they were picking up orphans off the streets. They were visiting the elderly and the sick. They were, they were feeding the poor. They were visiting the prisoners. 
And the pagan, the Roman pagans around them hated it, hated them for that. But what they saw was God's grace working in their lives. It was this reflection of God's character, his goodwill towards men that was being reflected through those who, who put their faith in Christ. But this word can, uh, this Hebrew word expresses uh, the kind turning of one person to another as expressed in an act of assistance. In other words, this is a heartfelt movement of, of uh, someone who has to give to someone who doesn't have. Uh, some linguists try to prove that the root word comes from an idea of stooping or bowing low. That hasn't necessarily been proven yet, but, but it does show a great picture. It gives us a great picture of, of someone, with, with, uh, someone with something to give, stooping down low someone who does that. That's an idea of grace here. It's, it's, it's a, a desire to be a blessing to others. Uh, of course, when we look at God's grace and the demonstration of his power, he gives us grace, uh, he gives us good, uh, good gifts to sustain us, doesn't he? It's important to see that, that even before the fall, even to the angelic beings of heaven, God's grace is, is given and it's demonstrated and it sustains all his creatures the heavenly ones as well as the earthly ones. All of us are dependent upon him, stooping down to give us life, to give us sustenance, to give us, on a spiritual level, even an energizing power to, to trust in him. That, that is, is his grace in a general sense. But the word also had this idea of, of showing mercy from a conqueror to a conquered. It means that his mercy doesn't squash us. His grace doesn't squash us as we deserve. It's a, it's a merciful disposition that he has toward us who are enemies. And so I, what I want you to see in, in this regard, in a saving regard, that salvation is more than just unmerited favor. Before there was a fall, before there was sin, uh, God you know, no creature merited anything from God. Every gift that we have, the breath that we breathe, uh, the angels enjoying the glory of heaven, all of that was unmerited. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. God freely gives it to them. But grace is more than just unmerited favor. It is favor given to demerited people. And so rather than getting what we deserve, which of course is wrath and judgment and, and condemnation or total destruction, but because of God's gracious, merciful disposition, we don't get what we deserve. And again, I want to point out that he is absolutely free to give this to whom he wills because it is from within himself. But it's an interesting thing that the word grace in, in the Hebrew Old Testament can also be, you know, has also been translated from the word chesed. Now, you're familiar with that word, I'm sure. Our old English, our, our, the, our, our English translations translate that word often as loving kindness. You know that the word loving kindness was actually, um, it was actually invented by a Bible translator, uh, Miles Coverdale. He, he translated uh, one of the first English Bibles uh, um, called Matthew Bible, the Great Bible. Anyway, he, he looked at that Hebrew word chesed and he said, uh, 
there's no real e English equivalent, so I'll just make up loving kindness. <laughs> but it works, because that's exactly what it is. Nevertheless, the Septuagint, the Greek, the Greek translators, as they were taking the Hebrew into Greek, they, they often translated that, that word um, chesed into the Greek word charis, uh, grace. For instance, you're familiar perhaps with uh, Exodus 34, where after the law was given to Moses and the, and the people uh, sinned against God in idolatry, worshiping that golden calf. Remember how Moses pleaded for mercy? And God extended mercy. Then Moses said, I want to see you. And God said, well, you can't, you can't see me. Nevertheless, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and, and, and I'll go by. And, and as God went by, as Moses was in the cleft of that rock, uh, God declared his name, as it were. Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, Hanan, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, chesed and truth. Now, now John takes that up in, in his gospel, in chapter 1, in verse 17, and he says, the law was given to Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So there again, we see that, uh, that even in the New Testament, that the understanding of chesed had this idea of grace attached to it. It's... it's it, it, uh, but the interesting thing about this word chesed, it, it, it contains an element of spontaneous freedom. It, it's, it's not something that, a, a grace, it's not a favor that was ever given because someone earned it or because they, they deserved it. It was given freely. And what, what separates really chesed from chen, getting all these Hebrew words there, uh, is that chen is, is a general term. It, it, it can be shown, this, this grace, this favor can be shown even to those who were enemies. Those who were perhaps even of the lower creation. Whereas chesed is always given to those who are in relation to God. It's always understood within the terms of the covenant. It's, it's God's covenant grace. It's, it's, it, this is special to the people of God, to God's elect. It's not given to anyone else. It's, it's just for us. I think a brilliant illustration of this is of this covenantal grace is found in the life of David. We're all familiar with his 23rd Psalm. We love that Psalm. Well, let me translate for you. It's, this is my translation, so take it with you as you will. But, but uh, verse 6. Surely goodness and covenant grace will hunt me down all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, if you're if you've memorized that in your English, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. But that, that word, that Hebrew word uh, that's translated follow here, it really is more, has more of an aggressive sense to it. it, it it's, it's the idea of a warrior pursuing his enemy or of a hunter pursuing his prey. And David here describes the transcendent, gracious God pursuing fighting, hunting him down with unbridled passion until he conquers, until he devours him in his love. Now, now the veracity of that verse is proved later on in David's life when he sins against Bathsheba, and then he orders Bathsheba's husband Uriah to be murdered. And does God wipe him out? No. God doesn't wipe him out. God doesn't punish him like, like he deserved 
But God pursued him. God hunted him down. He went for a long time without repenting. And, and in one of the Psalms, he talks about how his bones were, were you know, getting hot and whatever. But, but there was, God hunted him down. And that's the idea of grace. Grace is that, that character of God that, that hunts down even his enemies, even those who have offended him, to give them mercy, to show them compassion, to, to restore them, to bring them into his house. But again, I want us to, to be clear in our minds that, that grace was not created by man's sin. And therefore... Man's sin cannot hinder God's grace. Man's sin can demonstrate God's grace. It reveals God's grace. And that's the wonderful news. But let's go to the New Testament. The, the Greek word there, uh, I mentioned it earlier, is charis. Uh, one of the lexicons defined the word as a beneficent disposition toward someone. Favor, grace, gracious care, help, goodwill, or as a practical application of goodwill, a sign of favor, gracious deed, gift, benefaction. Uh, so, so here we're seeing that, that grace in, in, the Hebrew, in the Greek term is, has this uh, beneficent disposition, a favorable temperament on others that delights again in showing goodwill. You remember when Jesus was born? There he was lying in the cradle. And, and the angels declared God's glory, saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace and goodwill to men. There we see God's gracious concern for the well-being of God's people, even in the birth of his son. And, and so the angels itself saying, Glory to God. God has, has shown his grace to man in the, sa in the Savior's birth. And as you go through the Gospels, the general theme of, of Jesus' teaching and acts are centered upon God's condescension again to the weak and to the poor and to the hopeless and to the lost. One of the great blessings of seeing Jesus move amongst the crowds is, is how he turned to those who had no hope. Even when he began his ministry, in Matthew chapter 4, he, there the, the evangelist cites Isaiah 9. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. <laughs> these were the, the people on the fringe. These were the outcasts. These were the, you know, the, the people that the, the righteous Jews didn't necessarily like too much. They mingled too much with the dirty Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has dawned. That, that's grace. In Luke's gospel, as Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he, remember he goes to the synagogue and he opens up the scriptures to Isaiah 61. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the favorable year of the Lord, the gracious year of the Lord. Both cases, we're seeing the gracious character of the Lord as he reaches down, as he stoops down to help the, the hopeless, 
to lift up the weak and the poor. Another verse or section that I think demonstrates God's grace is in Matthew 18. You know this wonderful, last night Pastor Buchanan asked uh, uh, about uh, people's favorite parable. Well, this is my favorite parable. Uh, about this man who owed his master a great sum of money. And the master calls him in. I don't have that money. I, I can't repay you. And the master forgives him. And then what does that man do? You know that parable. He goes out and he finds a man that owes him a pittance in comparison. Pays me what you owe me. And uh, <laughs> I don't have the money. Well, then off to prison you go. And there he goes. And the master hears about that. And, 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 and remember, Jesus ends that. He says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, now there, Jesus is, is, is he's, he's drawn upon the gracious character of God. That he is willing to extend goodwill to men. That he is willing to extend forgiveness to those who can never repay him. And he calls us then again to follow suit. Again, remember, this is a communicable attribute. We are to follow suit. We are to mirror his grace. If you have been touched by his grace, then be gracious. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you have been forgiven, show forgiveness. And then another passage, Luke chapter 12. In that chapter, Jesus is encouraging his disciples not to worry about tomorrow. Not to, to give yourself over to, to seeking after eating and drinking and whatever you're going to wear. And then he ends that, that teaching. Very similar to what you find in Matthew 6. But he ends that teaching saying, and I love this. I love what Jesus says here. Do not be afraid, little flock. I like being called a little flock. <laughs> Very tender. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. The gracious character of God shows men that he is glad to give his people his kingdom. You're going to hold it back. There's this, this the, the graciousness of God, this beautiful character of God is that he lavishes that's how Paul put it in, in Ephesians 1. He lavishes his grace. He lavishes his love upon us. What a beautiful word. You know, he, he says here, you don't need to worry about life. You don't need to worry about those things that occupy the, 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 the time and, and, and all the energy of, of, of the unbelievers because God is a gracious God. He cares for you. You know the Heidelberg Catechism? Uh, at least chapter, or at least uh, question and answer number one. If you if, if you don't know the Heidelberg Catechism, at least look up question and answer number one. Well, let me just even read it for you, just because why not? But what is my only comfort? What is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, all that must be subservient to my salvation. 
And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live for him. That's really the essence of what Jesus is saying there in Matthew, or Luke chapter 12. The Father is glad to give you the kingdom. Our comfort is derived, it's founded upon the fact that God is pleased to look down with favor on his creatures, but especially on the elect. One more, one more passage. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, where there the apostle says, uh, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, be good work. Now, now, did you hear what Paul's saying there? He's calling you and me and all Christians to be free and to be generous in our giving. To be gracious in our attitude towards others who perhaps are, are, are less blessed than we but he calls us this because he says, again, this reflects the generous, gracious character of your God. Have you ever read that verse and said, why does God love a cheerful giver? Why does God love it? Well, I'll tell you why God loves a cheerful giver. Because he is a cheerful giver. He isn't stingy, folks. <laughs> he isn't stingy. His graciousness it makes him a, 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 a being who lavishes, who, who loves to give, who's glad to give even his kingdom. And so he gives to us every good thing, every good grace, every good thing that we need, every good thing, so that we would abound in doing good. That's the grace of God. He's not stingy. He's generous and cheerful. Well, we only have a few minutes. That's okay. So I'm going to just very briefly touch upon this idea of common grace and redemptive grace. Again, we go back to Genesis chapter 3. We know that story. Adam and Eve fell into sin. They believed the lie of Satan, rebelled against God. And God, being just, had to judge that sin and rebellion. But even then, God being gracious, he gives a promise. He gives a promise as he curses the serpent. He gives a promise to his elect. In, in that, you know, I, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. Now, if that promise is to be fulfilled, that's a promise of redemption, the promise of salvation. But if that promise is to be filled, final judgment must be postponed, as it were. And so, God sustains his creatures through what we call common grace. This is God's gracious provision for his creatures. It's giving the seasons, summer and winter, seed time and harvest. Remember how Jesus spoke of, of this? He said that God makes his sun, it's his sun that shines upon the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
But this common grace is not just seeing and, and, and creating uh, the, the weather and, and, and uh, life as it is. That's good, where we plant and grow food and, and be sustained that way. But also, God's common grace is seen in the establishment of various structures within human society. Uh, on a very foundational level, in God's common grace, he's ordained the family unit. Even pagans understand, well, maybe they're starting to lose this understanding, but even they understand the family unit. In Romans 13, Paul says that we have governments who are established by God to maintain order and to be the avenger of evildoers. That's all by God's common grace. God's common grace, uh, by God's common grace, fallen mankind even retains a conscience. Romans chapter 2, Paul says that even unbelievers who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. Show, they, and they show the work of the law written on their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So, so in common grace we see that, you know, God establishes the weather, he establishes uh, the growing patterns, he establishes families, he establishes governments, and he also establishes men continuing on with the conscience. In some ways, he, he, he maintains man's sin. But again, even though mankind deserved the full wrath of God and the fullness of misery for all their sin, God continues to give them gifts every day, that they might carry on living. So Charles Hodge, the 19th century uh, theologian, wrote, The Bible therefore teaches that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, of holiness, and of life in all its forms, is present with every human mind, enforcing truth, restraining from evil, exciting to good, and imparting wisdom or strength, when, where, and what measure it seems good to him. In other words, here, God's gracious character is revealed in common grace as he puts a restraining hand upon the world of sin and rebellion so that common grace reigns in. It puts a check upon mankind. But its greatest purpose was to make possible an historical environment for the promise of God in salvation to be effected. Now, common grace... Only God's redeeming grace changes the heart. And so Paul writes in Ephesians, you were dead in your transgression and sin. This is where we were. We were dead. And we formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And, and, and among them we too, he said, formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins and trans our, in tra in our transgressions, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And you raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, get this, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 
This is God's grace. Seeking you out when you have nothing to give. The idea of, of uh, the, the Hebrew word or the Greek word charis, grace, is an idea of, of, of a gift. The wealthy people that time in the ancient world would, would often give a, a charisma, a, a gift to others. Perhaps they saw that the city needed a fountain and so they would gift, they would give this charisma of a fountain or of a statue. Or perhaps they build a shelter for the poor or, or, or give alms to the poor. But the thing is, they would give their gifts to whom they deemed worthy of the gift. To those who were morally upright or intellectually astute or, or uh, physically uh, impressive. <laughs> they would give their gift to someone who would appreciate the gesture. Who wants to waste their gift on those who couldn't appreciate it? But the difference between God and man and, and giving his charisma, giving his gifts, giving his grace, is that God delights in giving to those who are not worthy. Even to the dregs, to the beggars. Listen to these very well-known words of Paul. Consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, the base things of the world, the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. That by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Again, grace, God's gracious character, his, his attribute of grace compels him to find delight even in giving good gifts, goodwill to stubborn, foolish, weak, and base things. Aren't you glad that God is a gracious God? This character of God, this this gracious character of God, again, is clearly manifested in Jesus Christ. I'll just close with this. John said, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You want to know more about God's grace? Go to the Bible and read the Gospels. Read the epistles. Read what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. There you'll find what God's grace really means. Amen.